Thank you, Seth, very much. I was thinking earlier about Seth being such a blessing to our church, him exercising the gifts that God's given him, and we're so grateful for that, aren't we? So grateful. Seth and I have gifts that we've been given that are a bit more out in front of everybody, and you've been given gifts, if you're in the faith as well, that maybe not out as in front of everybody, but still just as important. Imagine if Seth and I didn't exercise our gifts to you, what you'd be missing out on. I want to say to you, what if, because you're not exercising yours, that you think are not as important, and so therefore you're not exercising them, what blessings are you not sharing with all of us? So please, I just want to encourage you. Use that gift that the Spirit's given you, whatever it may be, for His glory. We're going to be in Judges chapter 8, verses 22 through 28 this morning. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you, every one of you. Give me the earrings of his spoil. For they had for they had golden earrings because they were Ish Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread the cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that had been that he requested was seventeen hundred shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in a city of Ophrah. Now all Israel poured after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. They raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. This is the word of God. You can be seated. This is uh, part two to the message that I began last week, the message called The Tragedy That Follows Victory. The Tragedy That Follows Victory. This is a two-part sermon, and um, before we cover what I covered last week as a bit of introduction to then move us into this week's sermon, will you bow with me? I want to ask God's blessing and God's help for this. Father, I need your help. I want it. I want to accurately, rightly divide the word of truth for your people. I pray, Lord, that you please Help me not to add to your word, nor to take away from it. I pray for those listening to my voice in this room, those who might be listening online, that you would please, please help them to focus on the truth and help them to hear clearly from your spirit, speaking to them, encouraging them to walk in faith and obey the word of God, encouraging them to turn from wicked ways, encouraging them to be like Jesus Christ. Help us all to be like Jesus Christ. Use this message this morning even to possibly change a wrong, tra- a wrong trajectory in our lives. Lord, use this text to save souls and to build up the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited to preach this message this morning because it is full and rich, and I pray that it will be a good meal for your souls. Last week, we covered the first two-point 
of, of three. And here's the outline that we went over last week. So, um, after the great victory that the Lord gave to Gideon over the Midianites and the Amalekites, we saw that, number one, the men of Ephraim were jealous that they weren't more involved. They wanted uh, glory for themselves in that great victory that the Lord had given Gideon. They wanted some of that action, some of that praise. Listen, if we're not careful, I said last week, we can get jealous and wonder why perhaps we weren't included, why we weren't given more glory in some success that the Lord gave. If we're not careful, we can see the Lord use another Christian, another ministry, another church. We can get jealous and wonder why we weren't included in that. Where's my glory in this success? You're not supposed to be jealous for your own glory, are we? The glory belongs to the Lord. Seek your glory Seek your own glory and you'll see your own downfall. That's just the truth of it. Seek your own glory and you'll see your own downfall. Number two, we looked at Gideon, who was too zealous for his own glory. We saw a change in Gideon's agenda after the victory. He gets disrespected by those he went to to ask for aid. So he vows vengeance on them, and then carries out that vengeance. Next, after capturing the two kings of Midian, we saw last week, Gideon becomes more concerned that uh, they were responsible for killing his brothers than the fact that they were the enemies of God that he was sent to conquer. And Gideon's pride, therefore, for his own name and his own family uh, steers him away from being zealous that God's name would get glory. Being zealous for his own name and his own family moved him from being more concerned about God's name and, and growing God's family. So the tendencies of seeking our own glory and the tendencies of, of pride can trip us up after the Lord grants a great victory in our lives or some victory just in general for the kingdom. We have to guard our hearts lest we fall into those temptations and thus eclipse God's glory, which should be our focus. Unfortunately, the uh, trajectories in this section of Scripture aren't finished. Um, the tragedies continue to come. Um, we're in the book of Judges. Don't forget that. In the book of Judges, there's a downtrend. This is a downtrend for the nation of Israel. That downtrend is occasionally interrupted by a short-lived uptrend, some obedience, some great thing that the Lord does through some judge, and then it's followed by a continued downtrend. If you want a picture, those of you who have a 401k or have some investments, look at your investments over the past couple months. Those, that's the book of Judges. <laughs> Just, just down, down, down. Occasional break, and then down, down, down. We're all hurting right now, aren't we? That's the book of Judges. And so here we continue in this downtrend, unfortunately, with Gideon today. In part two, we're going to focus on the fact that the people become religious for the wrong glory. Sadly, that begins with Gideon's well-meaning actions 
as we'll see later on. So after Gideon and his 300 defeated this main army, then uh, others rallied to help them to defeat the rest of them. We pick up in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. After this great victory, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. You're the obvious choice here to rule over us. They were elated. They were so happy. After all, they'd been oppressed by the Midianites for seven years, we were told back in chapter 6. Their attentions naturally turned toward Gideon, God's chosen leader, which he was. But the whole purpose of God only using 300 men to secure this victory over 135,000 others, the whole point of that was so that no man could boast in this glory. No man could take the glory from this victory. It was a miraculous defeat. And it was supposed to be seen as miraculous, being a miracle from God. So isn't it interesting then that the people asked Gideon to rule over them? You'd think they'd say, wow, look what God did. Instead, they were thinking, wow, look what Gideon did. So these people, who'd previously, who'd previously been very divided, you might recall they were very divided into their own tribes and jealous even sometimes about other tribes doing other Things who were formerly very divided people, now they look for one man to unite them. You rule over us. We will all gather together united under you. What if future threats come along? We will follow you into another victory. The people asked Gideon, his son, and his grandson to rule over them. Did you catch that? They wanted a, a dynasty. They wanted a king. Before he died and before the people of Israel entered the promised land, Moses warned the people that the day would come where they would one day want to be like the other nations and they would ask for a king. In Deuteronomy 17, he said that. They would one day ask for a king. But that king was to be appointed by God Moses said, that king also was not to acquire for himself many horses, many wives, or excessive riches, is what Moses laid down as the commands from God. The people's request here, though it had unity in mind, was actually a form of unbelief. Let me tell you why. Who were these people after all? They were the people of Israel. These were the Jews. These were the chosen nation, chosen by God himself as his own special people to represent him, to share his name, to share his fame, to advance his kingdom on earth. That's who these people were. They were Jews called by God. And this is why Gideon's response in verse 23 is very appropriate. I love his response. Not so crazy about his actions afterwards, but I love this part. Look what he says in verse 23. I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Good reply. A great response. I applaud Gideon for this response. However, though he had words that pointed to the Lord, he had actions that didn't. 
Let's see what actually happens after this in verse 24. And listen, let's be warned. Let's be warned by this. Let's take this as an example that it is very possible for you to have the right words, perfect, accurate answers, and folly in your actions to follow afterwards. Okay? It's possible to have right answers and wrong actions. Perfect example of this, Satan himself. He could ace a theological exam. He has seen the Lord with his own eyes. He knows all the right answers. That's why he's so good at deceiving you. Let's not be like that. What do we call someone who says one thing and does another? It's a really bad H word that no one likes to be called a hypocrite, right? Let's not be called that. We get called that anyway, okay? So let's not, <laughs> let's not actually own it. We all get called hypocrites anyway, right? The church is full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more, right? Verses 24 and 25. Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings of, uh, from your spoil. Verse 25, and they answered him, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak. Every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. Though Gideon says he doesn't want to be their king, he does want to live like a king and begins to do so. Doesn't want to be their king, but I'd like the benefits of being a king. I would want that will actually find he does the opposite of what Moses said the king should do. Gideon does amass for himself both wealth and wives. Verse 24. What Gideon should have said was this. Let me tell you what Gideon should have said as opposed to what he did say. What Gideon should have started out with, let me make this request of you. Commit yourselves this day to following the Lord by obeying his commands. Throw off your crooked, sinful ways of worshiping Baal. Follow my example that I gave you. Pull down the altars of Baal. Pull down the Asherahs. After all, haven't I been given the name Jeru Baal, which means let Baal contend against him? Did Baal win this great victory for us? No, it was the Lord. Because we obeyed his voice. And he gave us this great victory today because we followed his commands. Baal is no God at all. The Lord, he's God. Forsake your old ways and join me in following the Lord. That's what he should have said. That's what he should have said to the people. But now that they'd won this great victory and gathered all the spoils, the mounds and mounds of fine cloaks that were gathered together, the mounds and mounds of gold was too much for Gideon. Gideon goes the way of Achan after Jericho's walls fell down. Achan was one of the men of Israel involved in, in taking the city of Jericho after God took the walls down, the people of Israel took the town, conquered the people within. 
They were commanded, however, do not take any of the spoils. These are devoted to God. Achan sees 200 shiny silver coins. He sees a polished bar of gold, and he sees this beautiful cloak from Shinar, we're told, in the book of Joshua, and he coveted them. Though all the spoils were devoted to the Lord, Achan took them, went against God's command, and because of that, he brought down God's judgment, not only on his own family, but upon the rest of the nation, as you might recall. Many people died at the following victory. I mean, at the following battle, rather. There was no victory. And so, though Gideon, in our scenario, he wasn't commanded against taking any of the spoils. That was, that was not a command that they were given. But we still see him more focused on wealth than on worship. And that was what started his downfall. He was more focused on how much gold he could get over and above, how much glory God could get. It would be hard. Think about it. I'm talking 135,000 people died. And these were, we were told in the text, descendants of Ishmael. And the way these people adorned themselves was like some of the ones, some of the Arab people that maybe you've seen in movies who have gold from their nose to their ear and, and gold around their neck. And it says they even adorned their camels in gold. You've seen movies like this, right? Maybe when just these people come up foreign-looking people, but they're rich. You can tell they're rich because all oh, this, the shiny jingly all over them. That was the Midianites. And so, so much loot came out of this victory. Piles and piles of gold. Now, remember 1 Timothy 6, 9. This is a good warning for us. It's what Paul said to Timothy, who is going to be a church leader. And it's not only good for church leaders, it's good for all of us. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, <laughs> we look at that and we say, well, I kind of... I kind of want to be rich. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't think about being rich and say, it'd be nice to be rich? That word desire in that text is not talking about that form. Desire, that word translated desire in that text has to do with a plan that involves full resolve. This is, this is in contrast to another word that's also translated desire that means like wishful thinking. This is, this is not that. This is to fully set your plans on being rich. You are so focused on it that you will even sacrifice good, healthy, right priorities to get more money. Scripture says this is a snare. What is a snare? A snare is something that traps you. holds you, robs you of your freedom, snares out in the world that hunters use. They're made of strings or 
or, or wires or even sometimes a steel trap and it robs that animal of its freedom. There's something in the snare, however, that the animal wants. The animal goes to get it and he's caught. And it doesn't matter how hard he pulls, he cannot get out of that trap. He is snared and he's stuck. This is what you'll find your freedom stripped away should you set your heart fully resolved to go after money. So the people begin to request from Gideon rule over us, but Gideon requests something. Each one of you give me a bit of gold. Just a bit of gold. Now, lest you think, well, why is it wrong to just want just a little bit of the spoils of war. It's not. It, it wasn't wrong to want some of the spoils from war. He wasn't just asking for some of the spoils of war. After all, if you look at the verse with me again, look at verse 26. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. And then it says this, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants, purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels. So what that text is saying is Gideon already had all that. This is besides all that. So we're talking about much more wealth. These Midianites, it was very common for them to wear earrings or nose rings made of gold, very common. So he just said, just, just, I know all of you went around to each dead body and got the earrings out of the ears or the nose rings out of the nose. Why would you just leave them? So there's 135 gold earrings or nose rings. It's quite a lot. And he says, all those that y'all collected, this is all I ask of you. Let's just spread out a blanket here. Just toss them in the middle of the blanket. It ended up being 1,700 shekels worth. It was 40 pounds, 40 pounds of gold. Besides everything Gideon already had. I looked online at the rate of what gold is today. And I did the math for troy ounces of silver and the weight of gold. 40 pounds of gold today, gold goes up and down. So we're talking roughly 800,000 to a million dollars of gold is what Gideon wanted. Besides all that he had. Already. It would be like Gideon saying, listen, this is all I requested of you. I'm a humble man. I'm, listen, I'm a simple man. Just a million bucks. I like to live frugally. Just a million dollars will do. Besides all this other stuff I've got as well. Something's changed in Gideon. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, either he will love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he tells us what he's talking about. He says, no one can serve God and money. Gideon attempts to do something that many a man tries to do in order to justify his sinful behavior. He does something religious with some of his wealth excessive wealth. Look at verse 27. Gideon made an ephod out of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel 
whored after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. What is an ephod, if you're wondering? Remember Aaron the high priest? He had that priestly garment, beautiful purples and blues and all that. On the front of his chest, on top of that garment, was a golden square thing, kind of flat. That's called the ephod. And if you recall, it had the 12 stones in it, different color stones. Each one of those represented the 12 tribes of Israel. That was an ephod. Gideon makes one of those with the gold from the earrings. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about that. Gideon may have made the ephod as a representation of Jehovah to, quote, help the people, unquote, in their worship. But a good motive can never compensate for a bad action. A good motive can never compensate for a bad action. The people became religious for the wrong glory at that point. It says that they ended up worshiping the ephod. This reminded me of something. You might also remember once I start mentioning it to you. Remember when Moses was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years? They started grumbling against Moses. They said, we're tired of Moses' leadership and we loathe this worthless manna. We're so tired of this. We're tired of you. We're tired of this food. And God said, oh, really? And he sent down fiery serpents to come and attack them because their attitude showed where their hearts truly were. And he punished them. And the fiery serpent started to bite the people and some of them started to die. Moses, being the caring leader that he is, even though these people were saying, we hate you. He said, God, please spare them. And God said, make a bronze serpent, place it on a pole, lift it up. Everyone who looks at that serpent will live. And that's exactly what happened. And as you recall, Jesus used this that night when he was up on the roof talking to Nicodemus. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who looks to him will have eternal life. Actually, I think he said, believes in him will have eternal life. See, the people were dying from these snake bites. And if they just looked at the bronze serpent, they would live. We're dying from our sin that has enslaved us. And if we look to Jesus Christ in faith, lifted up on the cross as the one who took the punishment for our sins, we'll be saved by faith. They had to look at that serpent and believe that what Moses told them about it was true. We have to look to Jesus Christ and believe what the word of God says about him is true. And we are saved from what's killing us which is our sin. Did you know we're told later on in the Old Testament that the people of Israel ended up worshiping the bronze serpent? They didn't just throw it away that day after they were done with it. They they kept it. But then years later, this is after they'd already entered the promised land, they ended up worshiping the bronze serpent. These people are given to idolatry. These people were too given to idolatry to assume that they would make right choices without God redirecting their hearts. They needed a God-wrought redirection in their hearts. They were just too given over to idolatry to assume that, oh, they'll they'll probably understand that 
this thing that I made for them is to, is to make them be more devoted to God. They needed a heart change, not a scenery change. They didn't just need something to look at. They didn't just need something that would take the place of other golden items that they had worshipped before. But now this is, a, this, is a, this is a golden Yahweh item. They needed a heart change that only comes through faith in the written word of God. You see, listen. If we try to imitate the world by just sprinkling a little bit of religiosity on it, it does nothing except further damn the hearts of those we're peddling that to. Gideon's ultimate downfall was this. Though he obeyed God in the beginning, he never called the people to obedience. That's why it's folly also for modern day churches to mix a bit of Jesus into their worldliness and never call them to obey the word of God. You live in disobedience to the word of God, you don't know God, you don't get God, you don't have God. Those who know the Lord will walk in obedience to his word because they'll want to. In perfection, no. In direction, yes. And when we get off the direction, God brings us back because we're pricked in our conscience. Your conscience is a great gift from God to you. The Holy Spirit uses that in your life to say, nope, you've gone off, and he gets us back again. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a few Wednesday nights ago. It's like if you pull a guitar string over and then let it go, boom, it goes right back in the middle again. The Holy Spirit does that for us. When we get pulled too far, boom, he pushes us back to the middle, and that's from him because we don't do that in and of our own. Like the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Your heart wants to go after the world. You feel it. You do it even. But then those who are truly gods come back to right worship. Why? Because we're brought back there by the truth of God's word. And too many churches and church leaders fall into this temptation that Gideon fell into. Too many churches and church leaders throw out there, well, we worship God in our way. That sort of thinking sends people to hell. And let me word this in a way that you understand what I mean. So, to hell with that kind of thinking because it sends you to hell. We don't worship God in our way. We worship God in his way, the way he tells us to worship in his word. Ask Nadab and Abihu how that worked out for them. Hey, Nadab and Abihu, how did it work out for you when you chose to worship God in your way, when you chose to offer strange fire just because you felt like that would be okay with God? It didn't work out for you, did it? Those of you who might not know what I'm talking about, Nadab and Abihu were the two priests, young priests, just thought, we'll just, let's be inventive. We'll worship God the way we think is right. And God said, no. And fire came out from the altar and consumed them and killed them. Those were Aaron's two sons. We don't worship God in our way. 
We worship God in his way, the way he tells us to. And that's the right way. That's the fine. That's the way that we find the one true God. And Gideon should have stayed more focused on worship than wealth. And that's true for all of us. You and I should stay more focused on worship than wealth. Is it right and good to work and provide for your family? Yes, it is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. However, I do know that sometimes we miss out on God's greatest blessings and what God's actually trying to do in and through us and in, in, in and through his church and in this world because we just want more and more and more and more instead of being content. My grandparents were some of the most content people on planet Earth, and I want to be more like them. Grandmother and grandgrand, that's when I called them. My grandmother's still with us, praise God. Grandgrand's with Jesus, but they were so very content. My grandfather had made so many wise choices when things were lean for them. They just said, hey, they might get lean again, so let's just keep making wise choices with our money. And then he retired from the Air Force and then said, well, I'm still of working age. Let me keep on working. And they just kept saying, who knows, though? Things might get lean for us again. But they kept storing away money and investing. And so even in their old age, when they were sitting on a pile of money, my grandmother was still clipping coupons. They were still buying used cars. <laughs> still living in the same house they'd been in since 1960-something. And it was very well taken care of. And they were just so very content. They didn't think, we've got to have a bigger house now. We have all this money. We've got to have better cars. We have all this money. We've got to have better vacations. We have all this money. They were just content and so very generous. So very generous. You know why? Because they could be. Because they've been content. Now, how does that tie into here? Gideon wasn't content. He had all that, and he said, just, a, just about a million more should be good. And I'll kind of be religious with this money. And what did it end up doing? What's the text say it did? Well, remember how 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires. We'll look at verse 27. What happened with that ephod? Gideon made an ephod out of it and put it in his city of Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it, and it became a what? A snare. Isn't that interesting? The exact same word became a snare to Gideon and his family, not just him. And look at the word it uses there, they whored after it. The, the Old Testament equates idol worship with, with prostitution. You know why? Because these were God's covenant people. They made a covenant that God is their God, and God made a covenant with them, and you're my people. And so the going after other gods is like breaking that covenant it's like well, he uses prostitution as the example. It's like, it's, like breaking the, it's like breaking the marriage covenant. You're devoted to me and I'm devoted to you. Why would you go after another is what he's saying here. They hoard after it. Strong language. It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to show us what a crime it is 
for the people of God to go after other gods, go after any other thing, to make an idol of anything at all. It was a snare and a trap for them and brought them down. Why didn't Gideon take the thing and smash it like Moses? We know he heard about Moses because when the angel of the Lord comes up to him and says, where are all these miraculous deeds that we hear about that he did for our fathers? So we know he heard about that. We know he's referencing the exodus from Egypt. So then he would have also heard about what happens when the people were worshiping the golden calf. What did Moses do? Smash that thing, grind it into powder, mix it with water, and make the people drink it. Whoa. Okay. And then he also said, I'm putting a line in the sand right here. Everyone who's with the Lord, come over to me. And so they did. And everybody who didn't stayed over there. And he said to the men who came over to him, he said, strap your sword on. Everyone who's not with us is against us. Go kill them. God is deadly serious about these things. What I'm not saying to you is this. I'm not not saying to you, hey, act right or God's going to kill you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. If you're not with God, you're killing yourself because you're living in your sin and it's damning your soul. That's what I'm saying to you. Look what happened to Gideon when he didn't focus on obedience to God's word, but instead focused on the things of the world. He started off strong and praise God for that. But look how he went downhill, even quickly after a great victory, so quickly. And I don't want some of you in here and and, and me. Maybe you started strong. Your downfall can be right around the corner if you're not careful. Get back into the word of God. Focus on him. Focus on the truth. Walk in obedience to his word. If you're in a downward trajectory, don't worry. God can raise it back up, okay? God can shoot you right back up to the moon through Jesus Christ. You know how I know that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen for that. Your trajectory can be changed today. They were on a downward trajectory. The trajectory that follows victory when we walk in the flesh was this, all that we saw, those three points. However, in Christ, all that can be erased, and we can be walking in light and in love. Father, we're grateful for the fact that we have your word. Lord, I pray, of course, that we would heed these things. Lord, the people had rest, it says, after Gideon got this great victory, but Lord, not rest for their souls. Lord Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, help us to walk in Christ and find that great rest. Don't let us enter the slippery slope of the world, the flesh, the devil. Keep us from that, Lord. Keep us on your narrow path. In Jesus' name, amen.